A crowd of a couple hundred is standing at the edge of the sea. The onshore breeze is blowing into their faces, standing as they are, facing the water. It whips up little wavelets that build, crest, and break on the beach. The pebbly shore is slapped by these waves. The ebb back out makes a low slurping sound. The only other noise is the birds flying overhead. That, of course, and the voice of the man standing knee-deep in the water, his back to the distant heights, the climbing sun against his head and back. He is teaching them of the arrival meaning and power of the kingdom, he calls it, of heaven. The crowd stands in rapt attention, listening. What is it that they hear of? How does he speak? In parables of a net and the sea and the clouds overhead. He weaves his words and pictures out of the familiar. He stands in the sea, speaking of the sea. He speaks of a net while snaring their hearts. He he lifts up their understandings and hopes into the highest heavens. The look on his face, the set of his shoulders, the way he gestures and motions with his hands, all of it arrives with indescribable power. And yet... The laugh on his lips, the the way they've seen him stoop low unto the children, the humility of his presence, the crowds receive it all as from an old friend. And all at once he finishes. Thank you all, he says. And he walks up out of the water into their midst. He answers a few questions from the village elders passing along through them. Then he's heading into the center square of Capernaum. Not down at the water, not having ventured up to the house on the hillside for the morning's teaching, is Levi, also called Matthew, the tax collector. He is sitting behind his desk in the village center, having had a good breakfast, a solid morning, quite a big lunch, and now a promising start to the afternoon. He sits there under his multicolored awning in his fine robe. His desk is neat and orderly. The rolls, the two cash boxes, don't ask about that second one, a cup of diluted wine that he has with work every afternoon. The line of payers stretches one after the other, straight across the square. He is tallying the last payment, and we'll see to the next person in just a moment. But as Jesus went on his way, he saw this man, Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his desk in the tax office. He was walking at the head of the crowd from the beach. He had just breached the eastern entrance into the town square. And there was the line of people waiting to pay, standing in the hot sun. And there was Levi, cool and relaxed in the shade of his awning. 
Jesus stood and considered the whole arrangement. The crowd saw the direction of his glance, grew excited. Oh, he's going to tell him to go to hell, someone whispers. Oh, we have waited for this day forever, another says. Jesus begins walking over. The crowd almost tiptoes along behind him. And then, reaching the front of the line, the whole line turning to watch his movements, just like the beach crowd, Jesus arrived at the front edge of the desk. He looked at the orderly tax rolls, the pair of cash boxes, the afternoon wine cooler, and he said to Levi, Follow me. Akaluthe moi. In essence, leave the life you know and have carefully cultivated much to the detriment of your eternal soul and come live upon nothing but my word and presence. Become nothing now, tax collector, so that in me you may become something to me. Levi, the tax collector, looked up. He had heard rumors of the meaningfulness of this man. He'd heard the tale of the synagogue exorcism, of the whole town's healing up at the house on the hill, even seen the sweep of the crowds from there to the beach this morning. But he's never seen anything like the eyes of this man. Love, invitation, acceptance. So Levi got up and followed him, simply stood to his feet and walked along away with Jesus, leaving behind the desk, rolls, cash, position, his past, all the people waiting there, all of it. He invited Jesus to come up with him to his house. Jesus, with great delight, said, yes. So later that evening, When Jesus was sitting at dinner in Levi's house, a large number of tax collectors and disreputable folk came in and joined him and his disciples. For there were many such people among his followers. And there had been from the beginning, always would be. There was something about the way of his words, yes, but it was immeasurably more the testimony of his eyes, his countenance. The way he'd be passing by in the village street, the seaside road, and suddenly look at you, his eyes lighting up, and say, come. The way those eyes would plumb instantly down to the depths of one's being and immediately find reason to ask you to come nearer. The presence of Jesus was its own invitation to the disreputable. The scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees had only fear, religion. Jesus of Nazareth had himself. And that was ever and always all that it was, all that it is. But when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating in the company of tax collectors and outsiders, they remarked to his disciples, not to him, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
when Jesus heard this, he said to them, a smile on his lips, but a fire in his eyes. It is not the fit and flourishing who need the doctor, but those who are ill. I did not come to invite the righteous, but the sinners. And with that, he went back to the cup of new wine he'd been drinking. On another day, the disciples of John and those of the Pharisees happened to be fasting. They came and said to Jesus, Why do those who follow John or the Pharisees keep fasts, but your disciples do nothing of the kind? And imagine them there, these absolutely strange bedfellows, the disciples of John and the disciples of those John had called vipers, standing in the hot sun, facing this one John had called the Lamb of God, both equally irritated by his seeming disregard for their mutually held religiosities. The enemy of my enemy makes my enemy my friend? Well, and imagine, too, the look of the scene around them, the the, the crowds numbering into the low thousands by now, spread over a seaside meadow, enjoying the beauty of the day, the, the simplicity of their fellowship, the nearness of Jesus. The whole thing feels like a traveling country fair. People are eating and drinking, laughing, singing, recounting the words of his most recent teaching. It is pure, joyous joy. So Jesus told them, can you expect wedding guests to fast in the bridegroom's presence? Fasting is out of the question as long as they, he gestures at the surrounding thousands, have the bridegroom with them. But, The day will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. That will be the time for them to fast. Nobody, he continued, pointing to a patch at the elbow of his cloak's sleeve, sews a patch of unshrunken cloth onto an old coat. If he does, the new patch tears away from the old, and the hole is worse than ever. He looks over catches the attention of a nearby friend. He motions, beckons that man to throw him a half-full wineskin sitting there on a stump. And nobody puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine bursts the skins, the wine is spilt, and the skins are ruined. No, new wine must go into new wineskins. He throws the wineskin back to his friend and walks away without taking any more questions. On another day, he happened to be going through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. This was down in southern Galilee, near the turnoff for Nazareth. They had been on the road for two straight days. Last night, they had slept under the stars with only their cloaks for a blanket. Everyone was hungry today, a bit annoyed. A group of unknown men were following close behind them. They walked, in fact, in a parallel row of the corn. They seemed to just be watching Jesus. 
and his disciples, as they made their way along, began to pick the ears of corn. They quietly reached out and plucked an ear each, began to shuck them. As they walked along, they tried to prize away some hard kernels with their teeth. The Pharisees said to him, bursting suddenly from out of that parallel corn row, frankly frightening them all, Look at that! Why should they do what is forbidden on the Sabbath day? Everyone is stopped and looking at each other with the, with the high corn rows and the stalks almost like walls around them. The disciples are, are terribly concerned that they've irretrievably hurt Jesus' cause. Then he spoke to the Pharisees. He spoke low and quiet with more sadness than anger in his voice. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Haven't you read how he went into the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the presentation loaves, which nobody is allowed to eat except the priest, and gave some of that bread to his companions? The Sabbath, he motioned around him with his hands as if gesturing toward the whole world, all of creation. The Sabbath was made for man's sake. Man was not made for the sake of the Sabbath. That is why the Son of Man is master even of the Sabbath. And then, like that other day, he simply turns and walks off. And his disciples follow, still trying to get at those kernels. <laughs> 